Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. I want to devote this entire podcast to the subject of trade and you know, comparative advantage and tariffs and protectionism and this trade war that President Trump is so confident uh, he wants to declare war because he thinks we're going to win. And, you know, he's a winner and he wants America to win. And so he wants to launch a trade war so that America can win. And, you know, I wanted to record this podcast yesterday, but I got caught up in the Nor'easter. I was in Connecticut and I'm I'm in Washington, D.C. now. I'm at this conference, uh, LibertyCon, and I was supposed to arrive yesterday, but I got caught in Amtrak. It was supposedly a four hour trip to get from Stanford to Washington, D.C. I never made it past Philly and it took me almost eight hours really to to get there uh, or before I was able to check into my hotel in New Jersey because I couldn't even get one in Philadelphia. And this morning, the Amtrak train uh, didn't even run. So I ended up Ubering it uh, from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. And I got here in time for a panel I did. I had a debate, a Bitcoin debate uh, earlier this afternoon. I missed. I was on a panel last night. I was supposed to be on one with Steve Forbes. I forget who else, but I wasn't able to get to that one. But I was planning on recording this podcast from my hotel room yesterday before I did my panel, but I just didn't have the opportunity. So this is the first chance I've had to speak about this, but it's a very important topic. So I just wanted to get it out there. I didn't want to wait till Monday. So I'm just going to record it today. And, you know, I've been talking about how the trade deficits are at record highs. We have the biggest trade deficits ever. And Donald Trump, you know, as a candidate, rightly criticized these trade deficits. They are a huge problem. They are uh, endemic of an even bigger problem. And, and Trump understands that. He knows enough to realize that trade deficits are bad. And I will give him credit where credit is due, because most economists don't even see the problem with these trade deficits. They are wrong. Trump is right. The trade deficit is a problem. But where Trump is wrong is thinking that these tariffs are going to solve the problem. They won't. They will make the problem worse. This is the irony of these tariffs. They will result in larger trade deficits, not smaller trade deficits. And that's even without any foreign retaliation, meaning if China, if Europe, if our trading partners do nothing in response to these tariffs, the result will be larger, not smaller deficits and manufacturing jobs. The very jobs that Trump is hoping to save, manufacturing jobs will be lost. 
as a result of these tariffs. Now, I wish somebody in the Trump administration maybe could, you know, share this podcast with Donald Trump because, you know, he needs to really understand something about economics to understand what needs to be done. Because if Trump really wants to shrink American trade deficits, there are ways to do that. He could actually slash regulations, not just talk about all the regulations that they're slashing, but actually slash a bunch of them. But the most important thing that we could do to make America more competitive in manufacturing is to shrink government. That's what we need to do. We need to cut government spending on a massive scale. We need to reform entitlements. These are things that Trump doesn't want to touch. He's making government bigger because what we need is more savings. We need more capital investment in plant and equipment. But that's not happening. These larger deficits are going to crowd out what little capital investment we have. So Trump is going about it the wrong way. So let me try to explain, first of all, why these tariffs are not going to work. So the ones that Trump is talking about are on steel and aluminum. I think it's a 25% tariff on steel and a 10% tariff on aluminum. And remember that that these are taxes. When you say tariff, tariff is just a tax, right? So Trump is imposing taxes. Who pays taxes? The American taxpayer. So it is not a tariff on Chinese steel. It is a tax on Americans who want to buy steel, whether they buy it from China or any place else. It is a tax on buying steel. That is all it is, right? So Trump wants to raise taxes, and he thinks that raising taxes is going to be good for the economy. It's not, right? Now, here's the thing. Trump is concerned that the U.S. steel industry is a fraction of what it used to be, which is true. It is a fraction of what it used to be, and that's a shame. But these protectionist tariffs are not going to do anything to revitalize our steel industry, right? What is going to happen, right? The theory would be, well, we're going to increase production, right? We're going to, Americans are going to use more American steel and less Canadian steel or less Korean steel. That's not going to happen. None of that's going to happen because in order for Americans to use more American steel, our steel companies would have to invest in increasing their capacity. Right. So that we they could produce the extra steel to replace the steel that we're no longer importing. That is not going to happen. All that is going to happen as a result of these tariffs is that U.S. steel manufacturers are going to raise the price of their steel by the amount of the tariffs. That's it. So American steel companies and aluminum companies are going to sell the same amount of steel and aluminum. They're just going to sell it at a higher price. They're going to make a bigger profit. Right. That's why. Steel companies went up, the manufacturers. What are they going to do with those extra profits? They are not going to build more steel plants. They are not going to hire more workers. They are going to buy back their stock. That is all they are going to do. Because these tariffs, nobody knows how long they're going to be around. I mean, Trump could change his mind in six months, in a year, or he may not be president in a few years. Steel companies are not going to invest in building more plant and equipment based on an artificial price that is the result of a tariff that may not be there by the time the plants are ready with the extra capacity. All they are going to do is raise their prices. So the winner from the tariffs are the manufacturers of steel and aluminum in the United States. Foreign manufacturers of steel will not be affected because their price is also going to go up, but the difference is going to be collected by the government in the form of a tax. So if I'm in Korea or in Canada and I'm selling steel in America, I'm still going to sell probably the same amount of steel as I was selling before. 
It's just that the Americans who buy that steel are going to end up paying a tax uh, to the U.S. government. So that is the immediate effect. But here is the problem. The losers are all American companies that need steel, that buy steel as part of their production. I will give you a perfect example of one of the losers. And obviously, you know, car companies, right, they use a lot of steel. Uh, Airplane manufacturers, there's a lot of aluminum in airplane manufacturers. But a very easy example is appliances, right? Dishwashers, washer dryers, they have a lot more steel there, you know, uh, relative to the overall cost. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But take Whirlpool. Whirlpool is an American manufacturer. They're they're based in Illinois. I think they manufacture in Ohio. You know, they make um, Whirlpool. They make Maytag, KitchenAid, right? Their stock hit a 52-week low uh, yesterday. Uh, Of course, it's dropped, you know, sharply in the last couple of days. And if you look at a chart, this thing could really collapse in price. What is going to happen to Whirlpool? Whirlpool now, in order to make their appliances is going to have to pay 25% more for their steel, right? Even if they're buying the steel from the U.S. manufacturer, right? They're going to have to pay 25% more for that steel. Now, their competitors who are manufacturing appliances in other countries don't have to pay 25% more. They could pay the world price, the market price for their steel. Now, if we import steel, right, if you buy actual steel, you have to pay the tariff. But there is no tariff on washing machines. So if you import a washing machine that is made out of steel, there is no tariff. And so what happens is now the manufacturer of U.S. washing machines is at a competitive disadvantage to all the foreign manufacturers because they can buy steel a lot cheaper. So what does that mean? That means their sales are going to plunge. That means they're going to have to lay off workers, even if these tariffs end up being temporary, they immediately affect the bottom line of any U.S. manufacturer that uses steel. And so Trump's tariffs, while they will do no permanent good for U.S. steel manufacturers, in the short run, they can put a company like Whirlpool out of business for good, right? And and it's not just that we will import fewer washing machines. We won't be able to export, right? Because now American manufacturers If we're going to try to sell our washing machines or our dishwashers in other countries, they're going to come in with that 25% tax built into the steel. So this is going to hurt our exports. We're going to import more washers and dryers and appliances. We're going to export fewer ones. There's going to be no real impact on the steel coming in. So our trade deficits are going to go up. We are going to lose manufacturing jobs. And eventually, when these tariffs go away, The steel industry is going to suffer because so many of their customers would have been put out of business by the tariffs. This is what Trump doesn't understand. There are so many more businesses that use steel and use aluminum than make them. We have millions of people who are employed in manufacturing still in this country by companies that could go out of business as a result of these tariffs. And the irony, again, is that even these steel companies, when the tariffs go away, which they eventually will, and even if they don't, obviously you figure that U.S. manufacturers of steel, you know, are probably selling more steel to American manufacturers than maybe the imports. And if we destroy a lot of American customers for American steel companies, 
ultimately that's going to hurt American steel companies and the tariffs will ultimately backfire and cause U.S. steel companies to have to lay people off because they're not going to be selling as much steel because their customers who used to use the steel will have been put out of business or they would have reduced capacity and become smaller as a result of these tariffs. Now, I didn't even get to mention the impact that these steel tariffs are going to have on the construction industry. I mean, think about that. There's a lot of steel in construction, in apartment buildings and houses. And the real estate industry is already having enough problems because interest rates are rising. And that is very negative for uh, buildings and for homes because people take out mortgages. And construction costs were already rising as a result of the weakening dollar. Look what's happening to the price of lumber. Lumber prices have actually gone up quite a bit. But now we're going to jack up steel prices by 25%. So construction costs are really going to rise The home construction industry is already suffering. It's going to suffer a lot more as a result of of more expensive steel. And then what about the infrastructure program? Assuming that Trump ever gets this infrastructure spending program passed, the amount of money we're going to have to borrow to actually make the infrastructure repairs is going to be even higher because now steel is going to be more expensive, right? So, um, you know, steel is used in bridges and it's used in all all sorts of construction projects uh, that we're going to be undertaking. Obviously, there's going to be steel there. And so by increasing the price of steel, the government ends up spending more money on the infrastructure programs, which means we have to borrow even more money to pay for the infrastructure, so which means we have even bigger deficits, which means that puts more upward pressure on interest rates, that puts more downward pressure on the dollar. There's no end to the number of ways that all of this backfires and, and, and hurts the economy, which it's so amazing that you can have uh, the government actually impose uh, legislation that is so demonstrably destructive and that will achieve the opposite of its intended result. But unfortunately, that describes government perfectly. I mean, what else do you expect? Everything the government sets out to do, it achieves the opposite. Every government program meant to eradicate poverty increases poverty. The government declared war on drugs, drugs won, right? Drug use goes up. I mean, whatever the government wants to do, The opposite is what's achieved, right? They set out the most recent tax code. They wanted to simplify taxes. They ended up making them even more complicated. So here you have Trump. He wants to help American manufacturing. He's going to end up further destroying American manufacturing. He wants to save jobs. He's going to destroy jobs. He wants to make the economy stronger. He's going to make the economy weaker. This is, I mean, why should we expect anything different from government? So they are not going to work. They are going to backfire. And also another way I think that they will make our trade deficit worse is they will help accelerate the decline in the value of the dollar. And as the dollar falls, our trade deficits will rise because all of the things that we import will become more expensive because the dollar has gone down. The weak dollar isn't going to improve our balance of trade. Look, the dollar has gone down a lot in the last year and our trade deficits have soared to record highs. Part of the reason for our rising trade deficits is the weakening dollar. And the dollar is going to get even weaker. And a potential trade war is going to accelerate the downward pressure on the dollar. Another thing I've got to um, talk about is trading and comparative advantage and the whole reason that, that, that people export. I mean, people lose sight of this, but the purpose of exporting is not to export. The purpose of exporting is to import. 
right? That, that's, the, that's the whole goal. Exports are a, a means. Imports are the ends, right? Because nations want the, the most uh, consumer goods, right? That is the goal, right? To have the most consumer goods for your people so you can have the higher standard of living. And what happens with trade is there are some countries that are going to have an advantage in the production of certain goods. And if you know that, if you're, if you know, you would not try to produce a good where another country can produce the same good cheaper. What you want to do is focus on where you have a comparative advantage and produce more of that. And then you can trade your excess production for the other products that, you know, businesses or manufacturers in another country uh, can produce better, more efficiently than you can. And everybody does that. Everybody focuses on what they do best. And then we all trade, right? I mean, you can think about it in a, in a more simple uh, situation. Let's say there's two farmers. Let's say one farmer has land that is great for soybeans, but lousy for corn. Another farmer has land that's great for corn, but lousy for soybeans. It doesn't make sense for each farmer to produce both crops, right? The farmer that can produce soybeans would produce that, and the farmer who can produce wheat would produce that. And then if the wheat farmer wanted soybeans, he would trade wheat for soybeans. And the soybean farmer would trade some of his soybeans for the other guy's wheat. And at the end, each farmer would have more wheat and more soybeans, right? I mean, that's, that's it. You just, you use what your advantages are. Now, unfortunately, America doesn't have the comparative advantage that we used to have in a lot of products. And what was America's main comparative advantage? I mean, of course, we had a lot of natural resources, and that's a gift from God, and that was a good thing. Uh, but there are a lot of countries that have no natural resources, like Hong Kong or Singapore, that have become very wealthy. I mean, Singapore, you know, they have ports. You can say that's a resource. But, you know, they don't have – Japan has very, very few uh, natural resources. They're a very successful economy. The, the comparative advantage that some of these nations had was limited government. We had a comparative advantage in freedom. Since we were free from government, since Americans – were free from taxation and regulation and government interference, we were able to build up more capital, more savings, and be more efficient. And that was the real comparative advantage that we had over you know, most other nations of the world. We don't have that advantage anymore. But there are still going to be things, uh, even if the playing field is leveled on the amount of government everybody has, you're still going to have things in which there is a comparative advantage. Obviously, I mean, we do things. I mean, we have a comparative advantage probably in entertainment, you know, most of the world's uh, movies, uh, uh, you know, are, are made by American companies and, you know, American movies dominate, uh, you know, the global entertainment market, right? We obviously have a comparative advantage there in the production of, 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 of entertainment, uh, American music as well. I mean, there are certain things that we do, but the problem is we don't, we don't have a comparative advantage anymore in enough things. That's why we have these huge trade deficits, right? Because we, we, we don't produce enough. Now, I know there are a lot of people that try to say, well, you know, uh, we, don't, we, we can be a service sector economy. We don't have to manufacture because we have a service sector economy. Well, that's fine. But how are we going to pay for all these uh, products? I mean, if we could export more services, and we do export services, and we have a surplus in services, right, that offsets the deficit in goods. But the services surplus is not big enough to cover the deficit in goods. If it was, that's fine. I mean, we would not have to manufacture anything if we could export enough services 
to pay for all the goods that we manufacture. But that can't be done. That's never been done, which is why this whole, well, we're a service sector economy is a big myth. We're not. We, we, we still need goods and we don't produce enough services that we can export to pay for them. And so we are going into debt and we are selling off our assets and we are accumulating liabilities and we are getting closer and closer to a day of reckoning. And, you know, Donald Trump has just escalated potentially that day of reckoning and brought it forward so that it happens sooner rather than later. Now, ironically, that's actually a positive thing. I mean, it's not the positive thing that Trump is hoping for, right, to, to cause to cause the collapse that much sooner, maybe even before he leaves office. Uh, but it is a positive in that the sooner this whole phony economy implodes, the sooner we can start rebuilding it the right way. The risk is we don't rebuild it the right way. The risk is that the collapse actually is a catalyst for a bigger move to the left, that the whole thing is blamed on Trump, Republicans, tax cuts, deregulations. And before things get better, they're going to get a whole lot worse because we're going to go, you know, full socialism. Since Bernie Sanders has already established that and has already moved the Democratic Party to the socialist camp, this complete implosion on the Republican watch is going to really galvanize their support. And so things are going to get worse and then they're going to get a lot worse. And then maybe they'll finally get better. But there's a lot of ifs in there and there's a lot of hopes. And I know a lot of people say, oh, Peter, you're so pessimistic. The fact that I'm actually optimistic that eventually we can move away uh, from the socialism and go back uh, to free market capitalism shows that at heart, I am an optimist. And hopefully uh, my optimism will ultimately uh, prove to have been correct. But believe me, if I'm going to be correct on the ultimate optimism, things are going to get so much worse uh, before that's going to happen. The other irony here is when Trump talks about how we're losing on trade and we have an $800 billion a year trade deficit, all that is true. We are losing in the long term. We are losing. But in the short run, we are receiving an artificial boost to our standard of living something that Trump doesn't seem to understand. Because if we are running an $800 billion a year trade deficit with the rest of the world, that means the world is giving us $800 billion worth of stuff that we haven't really paid for yet. All we've done is given them an IOU. We've given them dollars, which they then use to buy U.S. Treasuries so that they can earn more dollars. So we're exchanging Treasury debt for real products that make our lives better. Right, that Americans consume and utilize to improve their standard of living. And our trading partners just get a piece of paper that we created out of nothing, out of thin air. Right, So in the short run, we benefit. Our trading partners are the losers. Right, They are giving up products that they could have consumed themselves and accepting our pieces of paper. Now, the idea is that one day in the future, they're going to use those pieces of paper to buy stuff. Well, the joke's on them because the paper's going to collapse and they're not going to be able to buy things. Now, a lot of people think, well, you know, eventually they're going to use that paper to buy American exports. They're not. They're going to use that paper to buy American assets. See, right now, the asset that they're all buying is bonds. But what they're going to be buying in the future is real estate, property, companies, right? They're going to be buying our country out from under us. And all we're going to have is our paperback. Right. And that's when the dollar really collapsed and prices run out of control. You know, there are people who think that, well, that means, you know, all these 
uh, dollars represent future exports because foreigners have to buy American-made products. No, they don't. They can buy assets in America. They can buy our land. They can buy our companies. They can buy our factories. They can buy resources. They can buy things like that. They don't have to buy our products. Of course, we don't even make the products. So what are they going to buy? I mean, there's a limit to how many, you know, movies they can buy. I mean, yeah, I mean, that we make Apple, you know, Apple phones and some computers. And we do make, obviously, we make some things that the world wants. But we don't make enough, not nearly enough. That's why we have these enormous deficits. But in the short run, these deficits are allowing Americans to live beyond their means. They're also making it easier for the government to finance these huge deficits because you have all these trade surpluses that are being recycled into U.S. treasuries. If we didn't run these trade deficits, who would be buying all those treasuries? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anybody would. Interest rates would be a lot higher. And if interest rates were a lot higher, how would the government be able to finance these debts? They couldn't. So the Fed would have to be printing a lot more money. and There would just be a lot more inflation. So in the short run, we are benefiting uh, from these trade deficits. In the long run, of course not. We are our, our industrial capacity is being destroyed. We are mortgaging our future. We are indulging our present at the expense of our future. We are hollowing out our wealth and our industrial base. And Trump is right. I mean, we need to make steel. We should be making steel. But tariffs are not going to lead to more steel production. They're just going to lead to higher prices for steel. And that's going to put American companies at a competitive disadvantage. And so it's going to reduce our exports. It's going to increase our imports. And it's going to further erode the industrial base. That is the reason that Trump wants to put in these protective tariffs. As I said from the beginning, what we need is more savings, less government, lower taxes, fewer regulations. That's what will make the American economy more productive. And that's what would revitalize our industry. But what, what he is doing now is not going to revitalize anything. It is just going to perpetuate the decline of the very industries that, that he is hoping to save. Now, of course, the other thing that Trump ignores is if he antagonizes all of our trading partners with all of his rhetoric, right? It's not like our trading partners are defenseless. I mean, yes, our trading partners could impose uh, tariffs in retaliation, but that would be, you know, two wrongs make a right. I mean, it's possible that other countries could do that, but it would not be in their best interest because tariffs, as I said, tariffs will backfire. They, they hurt the country that is imposing them, right? It is bad politics. It is bad economics. Now, I would not be objecting to across the board tariffs uh, that replace the income tax, right? And not like selectively on one product, but maybe an across the board 10% tax on everything we import, right? Not just raw material, but actual products, right? That would that would solve the problem of the dishwashing manufacturer, you know, having to deal with the fact that foreign competitors have to pay, can pay a lower price for steel. If we just put the duties on all products coming in, then that would at least not disadvantage American manufacturers. But what we need to do is we need to do it as a replacement for the income tax. I mean, ironically, if you go back before the income tax, before it existed, before 1913, the principal source of revenue by the federal government were tariffs. That's what the country ran on, right? Tariffs. And, and so we had tariffs and we didn't have an income tax. But we had a vibrant economy because manufacturers were more competitive in that environment because not paying income taxes was a huge advantage, right? Having a small tariff, 
uh, was better than having an income tax. But the agitation for the income tax was the politicians pointing out that the tariffs were paid by average people, right? Because tariffs made uh, products more expensive. And so what they said was, hey, let's eliminate the tariffs, but we'll have an income tax to replace the lost revenue. And the income tax is just going to be on the rich, right? Because the the, the first income tax, it was, you know, a 1% one, 1 tax. I think it went up to 5 7%. But, I mean, you had to be very, very rich. I mean, you had to be earn the equivalent of millions of dollars a year before you even paid the tax, right? It was really a tax on the 1%, right? The 99% were being told, you're going to get a tax cut. We're going to eliminate tariffs and we're going to replace the lost revenue with an income tax on the rich. And that's why it was passed, right? Because it was a soak the rich tax. There was a very populist movement at that time and everybody was in favor of it. Anybody who was against it, what, you know, you were just in the pocket of the rich, right? When the Supreme Court initially knocked down the income tax as unconstitutional the first time they passed it, you know, the, the Supreme Court was vilified, right? Because they were seen as just being defenders of the rich. They were enemies of the common man because the common man was going to benefit from the income tax because the income tax was going to replace tariffs. Now, of course, the president is saying we're going to have tariffs, right? Well, these are the very things that we, at least back then they knew that tariffs hurt workers. Tariffs hurt the middle class. Tariffs hurt the poor. But if we could eliminate the income tax completely, not just cut the income tax, but eliminate the corporate income tax, eliminate the personal income tax, and then just have tariffs, right? Across the board, American industry would be much more uh, competitive in that environment. So in that case, if you're going to raise revenue through tariffs, as opposed to raising revenue through an income tax, the income tax is inherently much more anti-competitive than just collecting a simple tariff at the border. But that's not what we're talking about doing. We're talking about adding tariffs to the income tax, and we're adding them in a very destructive way in that we're putting them just on particular products like steel and aluminum that will dramatically disadvantage American businesses that need to buy steel and aluminum. They will no longer be able to compete in our own market, in our domestic market, with foreign competitors. So now we have to import more products that we used to make ourselves because we've now made those products more competitive because of the imposition of these tariffs. But of course, if we were to go back to tariffs, if we were to go back to running the government on tariffs, we can't run the government we have today on tariffs. You could run the government we had in 1913 on tariffs because it was tiny. The government didn't do very much when it was run on tariffs. The problem with the income tax is once the government got the income tax in, they could jack it up. They knew they could keep raising it. There's a limit to how high you can raise tariffs because then, you know, you're going to destroy the industries and all, people aren't going to consume. I mean, tariffs are self-correcting as to abuse. You can't raise them too much or you're going to end up getting less revenue. But the income tax allowed the government to extract enormous amounts of money from the population. And just like the you know, the average guy was suckered, right? This is what happens when you believe the government, when you get in bed with the government, you know, you know, they screw you, right? The average guy believed they made this deal. They, they amended the constitution to give the government the power to tax incomes because they thought they were just going to tax Carnegie and Rockefeller and Vanderbilt. But then they ended up taxing the average guy. I mean, if Congress initially imposed the income tax in 1913, the way it's, you know, the way it's imposed now, Nobody would have been for it. I mean, could you imagine 
somebody trying to say, hey, we want to have a tax where money is taken out of your paycheck every week. You know, you, you're going to have withholding. I mean, they didn't even get withholding until the Second World War. That was part of the victory tax. They had to slip that in during a war because people didn't object to it. Because if you weren't fighting, you weren't going to complain about supporting the troops. But do you think in 1913 in peacetime, they could have done that? They could have said, hey, we're going to have an income tax. The average guy is going to have money taken out of his paycheck and sent right to the government. And then every April 15th, you're going to have to fill out a return. You're going to have to, like, confess, you know, because that's really what a tax return is. It's like a confession. Right. You're confessing everything to the government, but you're going to have to fill out this complicated piece of paper. In fact, you might have to go to a, 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 an accountant and pay him a bunch of money to do it for you. And then you're going to fill it out under penalty of perjury and send it in with your check. And if you did it wrong, you're going to you could go to jail. Do you, do you think anybody would have possibly been in favor of this? No, it never could have passed. The only reason we have the income tax is because the government was able to sucker the American people into thinking it was only going to affect the rich. And as soon as that camel's nose got under the tent, right, that was it. And now, you know, I mean, now the tent stinks. There's, there's, there's a whole herd of camels in this tent. And this same thing, you know, can happen now. Now we're getting the tariffs back. Now we're going to have the tariffs and the income tax, right? And Trump is already saying, look, you know, this is just the beginning. We're going to have more protective tariffs. I mean, I don't know how far Trump is going to press this. But the more he puts on, the worse it is going to get. Right. Again, he's like, you know, he's trying to cure a patient like he's a medieval doctor and he's trying to bleed the patient. The patient is going to get sicker based on this medicine. The actual problem is getting worse. Trump and the Republicans are helping to make the government bigger. You know, I can't even watch. I was watching on Fox News. They're talking about this. It's, I can't even really watch it anymore because they're just cheerleaders for Trump. I mean, initially, I didn't like the left. Right. The left was vilifying Trump saying all kinds of bad things about him, and I defended Trump. But now the right is saying all these good things about him, and, I, and they're wrong. He, you know, They're talking about all these great accomplishments that he's had as president and how great the economy is. This is all a lie. He hasn't had any great accomplishments. The economy isn't great. The only thing he accomplished was cutting taxes and increasing the deficit because not only did he not cut spending to pay for the tax cuts, but they increased government spending as they were cutting taxes. So he made government a lot bigger and he decided to pay for that bigger government by borrowing even more money, by taking the country even deeper into debt. And it's those deficits that are the reason that we're not making the investment in the plant and equipment to manufacture more and to export more. And so by making government bigger, by running bigger deficits, he is further uh, you know, undermining our capacity to save and invest privately in the type of equipment that would is necessary in order to be more productive to produce more ourselves instead of having to import things that we can't produce and to export right to become a net exporter we have to start producing a lot more that's what america used to do america used to be a net exporter that's how we became the richest country in the world i talked about this on a, a previous podcast but you know america started out as a debtor nation we borrowed money from you know, the UK, England. We borrowed money from France. We borrowed money from Spain. We borrowed money from the Dutch. And what do we do with that money? We built factories. <laughs> you know, we built infrastructure, right? We built roads. We became a productive economy. And then we started exporting products 
back to those countries who had loaned us the money. And we earned so much money selling them so many products that we paid off all the debt. And then we started buying up assets all over the world. We started buying up assets in Europe. We started buying up assets in Asia. And in fact, the reason that the dollar became the world's reserve currency is we had all the gold. How did America get all the gold? We didn't mine all that gold ourselves. No, we got it in trade. The Europeans and the Asians and the Latin Americans had to send us their gold to buy our cars, to buy our appliances, to buy our radios. All the things that people wanted in the world were made in America. And America became rich selling the world products in exchange for assets. And we became the world's wealthiest creditor nation, right? Everybody owed us money. Now we're in debt to everybody. How did we become the world's biggest debtor? By running trade deficits, right? And why did we run trade deficits? Because we destroyed our industrial capacity. We destroyed it with taxation. We destroyed it with regulation. And why did we have all those taxes to support a bigger government? And why did government get bigger? Because politicians wanted to get elected. And how did they get elected? Promising somebody something for nothing. Well, something for nothing is very expensive and it adds up over time. And that is what's destroyed the economy. That's why we're the world's biggest debtor. That's why we're running these huge trade deficits. And Trump wants to attack the symptoms by imposing tariffs. He doesn't want to get at the source, at the cause of the disease. He wants to try to hide the symptoms, but that doesn't work. You try to hide the symptoms, the disease gets worse because you're not treating it. And that's exactly what happens with these, with these tariffs. Right. The disease that Trump thinks he's trying to cure is going to get worse. The trade deficits are going to get bigger. We're going to lose even more manufacturing jobs that we've already lost. And maybe his response to that is, well, I got to double down. We need even more tariffs. We need to raise the tariffs even higher. Right. And then it, and then he causes even more damage. But as I mentioned earlier, it's possible that our trading partners could just say, well, you know, screw this. We're just going to we're going to dump a bunch of our treasuries. Right. And of course, Dumping the treasuries isn't the big deal. It's dumping the dollars, right? It's not just that they sell treasuries, right? Because if they just sold treasuries and held dollars, it wouldn't be as bad. Although it would push interest rates up because somebody would have to buy those treasuries. And a lot of it too, they don't even have to sell them. They just, they just you know, let them mature and they hold on to the dollars. That would push up interest rates. But what would really hurt is if they then dumped their dollars, right? And they bought other currencies, right? They bought euros, or they bought yen, or they bought gold. But then what, what is the person who got those dollars going to do? Right? Because let's say the Chinese sell their dollars and buy euros. Well, somebody who had euros now has dollars. What are they going to do with those dollars? Are they going to put them into treasuries? Well, what if they, I mean, they, they might try to sell them to somebody else. But eventually what has to happen with those dollars is they got to be spent in America either on products that we manufacture or what I said earlier, they just buy stuff. They go and they buy a piece of property from an American. And now the American has the dollar and the foreigner has the property, right? But now all this money that used to be offshore in, in treasuries is now onshore in, you know, in the pockets of Americans who used to own assets like real estate or stocks, and now they just own dollars. And the money comes back. But what that's doing is that's all the inflation. Because one of the reasons that America, we haven't had more inflation in America is because we print this money and then it just goes away, right? We send it to Europe or Asia and it's not in America bidding up prices, right? We get goods, goods flow in that keeps prices down, right? We get all these real goods coming in and we print this money and we send it away and it just disappears, right? And so it's not here. 
And so the impact, we don't get the big impact on domestic prices because the money is not here bidding up domestic goods. But if that money comes home because foreigners use it to buy our assets out from under us, right? And of course, they don't even have to buy new products, right? They could buy used cars, right? Foreigners could start coming in here and buy up cars off of used car lots, right? That doesn't help the manufacturers of cars if somebody starts coming in here and buying used cars, right? But that reduces the supply of cars in America that makes cars more expensive, right? Used cars become more expensive, you know, and foreigners can buy all sorts of used products from Americans. I mean, that doesn't help the new manufacturer because nothing's being made. There's no, no labor being expended, but they start buying stuff. And then all of a sudden our money comes back and it's the reverse process, right? Goods leave, right? Stuff leaves that we could have used ourselves. Stuff goes away and money comes in, paper money, which doesn't do us any good, right? We just use that money to try to buy stuff, but there's less stuff to buy because the stuff is now in Europe or in Asia or in South America. So this thing, whole thing accelerates the demise, the collapse of the dollar, the currency crisis. It's like, this is going to happen anyway. But what Trump is doing runs the risk of accelerating this demise. I mean, the day of reckoning was going to come, right? We were eventually going to lose, right? We have been winning in that we have been living beyond our means. The day of reckoning is always is going to come. What Trump and the Republicans don't understand is that we are accelerating that day of reckoning by antagonizing our trading partners and by erecting uh, uh, a tariffs or by threatening trade wars. Uh, we're actually maybe getting our trading partners to rethink this whole relationship because they're the ones that are getting screwed. Right. They're the ones who are losing because they are losing out on their products and they're stockpiling a bunch of dollars and a bunch of treasuries, which are eventually going to collapse and they're going to be worth nothing. Either we're going to default on the treasuries and so they're not going to get any dollars or the dollars are going to be worthless because we don't default because we just print you know, trillions of them. Uh, and maybe we can scare the world into actually doing the right thing. I mean, the sooner they dump the dollar, the sooner they stop trading with us, the better because they are losing. Every time they send us a product and we don't send them a product in exchange, we just give them a piece of paper. They're losing, right? They are losing out. We are winning. We're gaining. Yes, in the long run, we're, we're, you know, we're screwing up our economy. We're undermining our future. But in the short run, we get, a, we get a benefit, just like anybody. Anybody that goes and buys stuff they can't afford with a credit card, you know, while they're spending that money, right, it's, it's, a, it's a benefit, right? They get to buy stuff that they otherwise couldn't have, right? So they get to have more fun. They can take a vacation that they can't afford. They can buy a new big screen TV that they can't afford, right? So if you have a bunch of stuff that you really can't afford, yeah, it feels good. You're, you, you know, you're, li you're living better. But what are you doing? You are destroying your future because the bills are going to come due. There's going to be a time to pay the piper, right? These sayings are here for a reason, right? The chickens come home to roost. I mean, you could think of a number of them, but people came up with these because they're true, right? And that's going to happen. It happens to individuals who run up too much debt to indulge themselves and live beyond their means. And it happens to nations because all nations are our collect collection of individuals. And individually, we're all making this mistake. And foreigners have made the mistake of vendor financing the United States because they're under the impression that eventually all these dollars that they're holding on to will be used in the future to buy products that America manufactures. But the problem is the longer this goes on, the fewer products we're actually going to manufacture. And the only things they can really buy with their dollars are assets. But of course, we could always make that illegal. See, the U.S. government can pass a law saying that foreigners can't own property in the United States. 
foreigners can't own stock in it. We can ring fence the country to prevent foreigners from buying it out from under us. I mean, politically, that is always a risk. Just like we could selectively default. The U.S. government could say, hey, we're going to default on all bonds that are not owned by Americans. I mean, they could try to do that. So the more debt that foreigners own, the less likely that they're actually going to get repaid. I mean, politically, I mean, I've talked about this for a long time. I mean, is there any way that a future politician is going to tell the American people, hey, you know, we've got to raise taxes massively because, you know, we've got to pay the Chinese the money that we owe them. You know, we've got to pay them interest on the debt. You know, the Chinese want their money and, you know, we're good for our debts. And so we need to have an across the board income tax hike. Or do you think a future president is going to level with people on Social Security and say, look, I've got to, we've got to cut Social Security benefits because the Chinese want their money. And, you know, we're good for our debts and they have all these Treasury bonds. And I know we promised Social Security benefits to you, but we also promised interest to the Chinese. And, you know, we don't want to default. So the Chinese are going to get their money and we have to cut Social Security benefits. There's no way they're going to say that right there. They're going to say those Chinese, you know, they, you know, screw them. Right. They're predator lenders. Right. We got, you know, let's they never should have loaned us this money. I mean, it's there. You know, they, 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 they you know, they're predators, just like they were saying with um, the, the, the mortgage lenders where right? we got to punish them. Right. It's, it's their fault. Right. They, they should have loaned us money that they knew we couldn't pay back. Right. That's just just like what I'm saying about Puerto Rico. Right. Puerto Rico's creditors were dumb enough to lend the Puerto Rican government all that money. They, they shouldn't get paid back. I'm, I'm for default. And you know what? In a way, I would take the same tack. I mean, personally, if it was a choice between defaulting on the Chinese and defaulting on the Japanese and defaulting on American citizens, let's default on the Chinese and the Japanese. And of course, a politician. I mean, that's a simple choice. The Chinese can't vote in our elections. The Japanese can't vote. The Saudis can't vote. The Russians can't vote. What do they care what they think? When it comes down to screwing the voter or screwing the non-voter, who do you think is going to get screwed? So, you know, we might be doing these guys a favor by getting them to rethink the ridiculous position that they're in right now. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the Chinese, well, they'll never dump the dollar because they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. They have so many dollars. Look, that was the same thing that they used to say in the U.S., you know, you know, we had all this Latin American debt. And it's like, well, we have to keep loaning Latin American countries money because the banks are afraid to stop lending because they've already loaned so much. They don't want to allow their assets to be written down, which to an extent is true for a while. But there's only so much good money you're going to throw after bad. Because if you're going to take that mentality, you know, the Chinese are going to have to keep on buying treasuries. They're going to have to keep on building up their stockpile indefinitely. And at some point they realize the madness of that. You know, hey, I'd rather lose what I got now than double up, double down or triple down and then have to take a loss on an even bigger, uh, you know, uh, a quantity of treasuries or dollars. So this is the type of thing that could agitate people, get people to rethink what they're doing and then just try to bail. Just get out. Right. Spend your dollars while you can buy whatever you can before the dollar collapses and, and prices run out of control. So all of this, you know, again, all of this is part of the forecast that's, you know, all these things, the taxes, the increasing trade deficits, the increasing budget deficits, right? The growing government, all of this is going to accelerate my, my main thesis, my main theme. What I've been saying is going to happen with the U.S. economy, with the dollar. It just feeds into the same investment narrative. It's just more reasons to you know, adopt the, the strategy that I have. And, 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 and it's even more reasons to be negative 
on the Republican prospects for 2020, because these tariffs are going to come back and bite the president uh, when the economy is weak, when the stock market is weak. This is another thing that they can use to blame it on. I mean, in a way, I was almost thinking that maybe Trump is happy about uh, the stock market going down where he can say, well, it's the short term collateral damage of these tariffs. Long term, it's going to be good. But short term, you know, they don't understand why these things are good. But by the time the elections come around, it's going to be obvious to a lot of voters, especially unemployed voters who maybe used to work uh, manufacturing Maytags. Right. But a lot of people are going to lose their jobs as a result of these of these tariffs. And they're not going to be voting for Trump. Uh, but it's another reason that the economy can go into recession uh, as if it needed another reason. It's another reason why this uh, correction in the stock market ultimately ends up being a bear market. In fact, I think we you know we've dropped. We had a bit of a rally. The Dow was still down, but the Nasdaq had a rally on Friday. My guess was that it was a short covering rally. There are so many negatives now for the U.S. stock market. Not only uh, uh, is the economy slowing, uh, but you've got rising interest rates, you've got rising inflation, you've got tariffs, you've got the potential of a trade war at, at a time where you have record high valuations for U.S. stocks. So this is a powder keg and Donald Trump may have just lit the fuse. <music>